Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me for this episode as we will take a look back at the big victory over Utah. What we liked, what we didn't like, what Billy Napier had to say today, what some players had to say today. And also we'll look ahead to Kentucky just a little bit. Co-host Will Miles joins me right here. Will, it was finally good to see you again in person. Will flew down from Pennsylvania all the way down to Gainesville. You can read his stuff at Read and Reaction. Really good game review there. But Will, as I said, good not to uh, not to good to good not to see you on the computer screen for 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 once. Absolutely, man. It's great to see you. It's great to see all the different people that we interact with from from on a regular basis at this point on Twitter. And, you know, you get to see all those people and say hello and and really actually spend some quality time as opposed to just, you know, going back and forth on Twitter. <laughs> so that makes a big difference. And, you know, for me, this this holds this is always going to hold some special sentimentality, sentimentality to me. Brought my seven year old Max down my uh, my. My daughter, she's almost 14. She she knows that I'm a Gator fan. She roots for him, but she doesn't watch the games with me. My 10-year-old, he's a baseball fanatic. He's like, eh, football's not really my deal. Seven-year-old, I told him that I asked him if he's going to watch the Kentucky game with me next week. And I told him we'd have to watch it on TV. He's like, no, in the stadium. So, so Harmonic Woods Tailgate, the Swamp, Florida Gators, you did a great job. You've indoctrinated one more into, into the cult. And uh, I couldn't be happier to have him coming along with me. Yeah, it was good to meet Max for the first time there. And uh, like I said, a lot, a lot of fun hanging out there uh, at, at the tailgate and, of course, into the game. And but look, Max's first game was a, was a memorable one. You know, Florida winning 29-26, big-time atmosphere there in the Swamp. Uh, Man, it was just uh, still, Will, just a couple of days later, uh, I, I think uh, Gator Nation is still uh, elated. Uh, Billy Napier brought us back down to earth a little bit today <laughs> in his press conference. Uh, but, you know, hey, that's what head coaches do. That's what you want a head coach to do uh, moving forward with the SEC opener uh, this week. So plenty of good to look into. We'll get Will's thoughts, too. Uh, you can go check out definitely more of Will's thoughts at Reading Reaction there at the site, on YouTube, 
uh, on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. But, well, you know, of course, Will and I uh, always like to discuss the games as well here. But before we get there, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Really, really helps us out. Been doing, uh, you guys have been doing amazing on that part of it, on the YouTube side of things. Hit that bell. You get those notifications when Gators Breakdown goes live. And leave a comment there. Keep the conversation going right here on YouTube. And to keep it going even more, join Gators Breakdown Plus. Get that Discord server. The conversation's always going right there. The link is in the description to join Gators Breakdown Plus. Even more episodes as well uh, as we really dive in to football season. So, Will, let's go. Well, well, let's go to what Billy Napier had to say uh, today in his press conference, kind of more of his opening statement here and kind of, you know, where the Gators are coming off the big victory over Utah and Kentucky up next. The film is sloppy, okay, just so we're all on the same page. I know we're ready to put the crown on the Gators, but um, Gators got a lot of work to do to play at our expectation and our standard. Um you know, I think the big challenge with the staff and the players yesterday was just to control the things that we can control. Uh, and we went through those things, right? Communication, alignment, eye discipline, using the fundamentals and techniques uh, that we've been coached. Um, and then, you know, this the simple execution of your assignment and the in-game decision-making as the play's taking place. So, um the great thing is the effort was there, the physicality was there, the toughness was there, uh, the passion. You know, I thought the chemistry and morale of the team was good. Uh, I thought we saw some leadership emerge. Uh, but overall, lots of areas on our team where we need to improve, right? So um, I think we got a little bit of the best of both worlds here. We got some momentum. Um, but we also, I think, have a team that is very self-aware. I think we've got a smart group. I think they understand good football. They watch the tape. They know that they can do better. Uh, so our level of detail uh, in how we prepare and how we play uh, needs to improve. And I, and I really believe we will see some improvement week one to week two. I'm hopeful that we'll see that. Well, definitely all hopeful, Will. Kentucky, first SEC game coming up. But look, I mean, as we said, just a couple of days later, we as fans, of course, we we need to celebrate this. After what we went through last year and that joke of a season and everything that just fell apart, Will's falling off, Florida not looking competent against the likes of Samford. Top 10 Utah rolls into the swamp. Billy Napier's first game, there's a lot of trust that needs to be built, whether it be trust from, you know, the, the coaches to the players, the players to the coaches, but also the fan base. Will, uh, Will you know, there was a lot of excitement coming into this game, mainly because of, a, a, you know, a late recruiting surge in the, in, in the summer. All the excitement was building up until, uh, up until this point, but there was the one last little thing is, all right, let's see what happens on the field. Our very first eye test, our very first test at all, for this team on the field is a defeat of top 10 Utah. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it was a fantastic win for Napier to start off. Obviously winning, winning is better than losing, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and there were plenty of opportunities for Florida to lose this game. And I think that's really what Napier's talking about. He's right. The, the film is sloppy. I went back and rewatched the game this morning and you could see that there are things that Florida is going to improve on. And I think that's a good thing, right? To sit there and look at it and say, we won the game and you know, we're thankful for that and we're happy about it. And it was an awesome moment when Amari Bernie gets that interception. It was a just excruciating moment when Ventrell Miller drops one, like, you know, four or five plays before that. 
And so those sorts of moments are awesome, and the fans should appreciate every single one of them because they don't come around that often. Though, as I was ticking them off in my mind, they do come around more often than you really think <laughs> about when it, when it comes to this. I mean, you can just start ticking off things like that. But the last time I was in the swamp for a moment like that was Felipe Franks heaved to cleave. And even then, the stadium wasn't full because we had a hurricane like a, you know on Monday before that game. So um, – these don't come around that often, so you have to appreciate them. At the same time, 1-0 doesn't matter if you're 0-1 in the SEC after next week, and they're going to have to play better to beat Kentucky next week because Kentucky's going to get better from their first game as well. And so there's no shame in saying that. And I think you know, the interesting thing is when I went and looked at the advanced stats, the really advanced stats where they one of the things I really like is it's a stat called post-game win percentage that college football data has. And it tells you basically how often a team would have won the game if the stats were the exact same. So it sort of throws out turnovers. It throws out... Out, you know, field position and those sorts of things and says, all right, if we had these statistics in terms of the value that each play is bringing, who would have won the game? And the stats say Florida would have won 99% of the time, that specific stat, which tells you that Florida dominated the game. So why were they holding on for dear life at the end of the game? It's because of all the mistakes and all the things that they're going to have to fix. And so you get away with a situation where maybe you could have had a convincing win. It ends up being a close win. But still, a win is a win, especially over a top 10 team. You have to appreciate it. You have to embrace it. And quite honestly, we saw the the celebration videos of Napier in the locker room. So let's not kid ourselves. Napier enjoyed that one quite a yeah. bit. <laughs> and he enjoyed that with his players quite a bit. But he's realistic as we are, right? He he went out there. He he saw the false starts on third and five that put him in third and ten. He saw the fumble on the opening drive. He he, you know, I, I saw somebody joke today that for about, you know, for about <laughs> I think it was like 12 minutes. Anthony Richardson led the Gators in tackles because they had the ball for the whole first drive. They get the ball back and then they drive down again. So, you know, that's not where you want to be after the, after the first quarter of the season is Anthony Richardson being up there on your tackles list. So there are clearly some things to fix, but, uh, but at least you can much rather be. There you go. You, I I think you were about to say what I was about to say. (laughs) You'd much rather be fixing them after a win than after a loss. And the other thing I think that's really interesting is I think Utah, other than the rising interception, played an extraordinarily clean game, especially Mm -hmm. when you consider the conditions, because that place was a madhouse. And you know they, they were able to to play a clean game for the most part. I think they had one false start that put them in a situation, but they were still able to convert even after that. So rising was, he wasn't great, but he was good enough to keep the drives going. And I think if you asked Utah, Hey, you're going to go eight to 13 on third down. You're only going to punt twice and only once go three and out. And you know, you're going to keep the, the, the possessions down to a minimum and you're going to win the time of possession battle. I think if you told Utah that they'd say, awesome, we're, we're going to win that game. And to, to take a look on the back end and say, Hey, Florida actually kind of dominated it when you, when you factor in, uh, when you factor in, really, it comes down to efficiency in terms of the play, in terms of plays. Um, I, I think it's a good sign for Florida moving forward um, as, as we head into the rest of the season. Yeah. And Will, when you think about it on the surface, the efficiency, you know, first game under a new staff, fighting back everything that you fought against last year, of course, you know, efficiency probably wasn't going to be very, very good for Florida. And take a look at first year head coaches at their new stops all around college football, especially for the ranked teams or teams that you're, I mean, you, I mean Oregon and Dan Lanning, of course. Okay. I've never, I was never a believer in that. And uh, new head coach, first time head coach. Can Oregon be good under Dan Lanning? Yes. Can they be good in year one under Dan Lanning? Yeah. A top 11 to start the season. I never saw it whatsoever. Also didn't see Georgia beating them 
that bad. I thought it would be a blowout, but that was complete domination. Okay, but, you know, first-year head coach Dan Lanning, ranked, did not look impressive whatsoever. Playing George is part of that. And then, of course, um, we go to Sunday night, and Brian Kelly at LSU, first-year head coach at, at the new stop, has some experience there at Notre Dame, of course. They definitely look like – they did not – Looked like they were ready to play. Um, and, you know, there's one that Billy Napier is always going to be compared to, and we got to play him down the road. So you know, we'll we'll see what that ends up being. But if you want to compare, you know, what we saw across the country, first year head coaches, of course, you know, USC didn't play much of anybody, Miami didn't play much of anybody. But the first year head coaches that had some games, some marquee games that you were going to look at, if Florida came out on top, Florida looked much better, looked like they were ready to go more so than those other teams out there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we got exactly what we were hoping for. When you look at any sort of preseason preview for Florida, it was, can Anthony Richardson make the offense better than it was last year because he's such an upgrade from Emory Jones? And then is the defense going to be able to sort of approximate average when it comes to when it comes to being able to stop good offenses? The interesting thing is, so Utah averages 6.3 yards per play for the game. Last year, they averaged 6.2 yards per play. So if you think about an average defense, you would expect that to, a defense to sort of give up yardage similar to what teams got last year. They're right in line with that. And then Florida averaged 7.2 yards per play against a team ostensibly that's going to be in the top 25 at least at the end of the year. That would have been third last year behind Ohio State and Coastal Carolina and would have just been barely behind Coastal Carolina at 7.2 yards per play. So what we just saw was Mm. a top 10 offense and a defense that is just good enough to basically hold people to their averages. And if that's what Florida has the rest of the year, then you're looking at a team that is going to win a bunch of games because a top 10 offense is going to win you just about every game on your schedule. And then if your defense is just good enough, you're going to win the ones that you should as long as you can maintain that. And then the question is, can you get a special performance from Richardson or can the defense step up in particular against teams like Georgia and A&M and potentially even LSU or maybe Florida State now down the line and uh, and, and get the job done? So, look, I, I don't think Florida's going 12-0. and I don't think anybody thinks Florida's going 12-0. and But what we thought going into the season was Florida – I mean, I, I wrote and said this bunch of times florida's offense was ranked 21st in yards per play last year they just didn't score when they got in the red zone because emory jones turned the ball over too much and so they were like 61st overall in points per game that was very close to what utah was last year as well utah did exactly what they did in 2021 which last year would have been good enough to beat the gators hands down anthony richardson takes this offense to a new level and so you wound up with a top three essentially offense out there on the field, and Utah had no answers. Utah couldn't stop them. Florida really kind of stopped themselves. Well, you mentioned red zone. Boom. I mean, both teams. <laughs> you know, that Bobby be the difference in the game right there, of course. Uh, Florida making the best of their opportunities. Uh, Utah not, and the Florida defense having, having, having something to say about that. Um, well, there's something you know, I, I did kind of preview, preview you for, and maybe you know, just in, you may have already hit it in, in, in your way, but you know, how big of a win of win is this for Florida? And there's, I think a couple ways to look at it. Of course, we, we've talked about some of it here, but a good friend true brought up a, a great point and I'm pretty sure he's right on this. I was going through it in my head. First rank win for the program since beating Georgia in 2020. Oof, man. Uh, Cause yeah, the, rest I, of that, the rest of that season, you know, the, the, you didn't play another ranked team until Bama in the SEC title game. So you lost that one. Of course you lost to Oklahoma. 
You didn't get a rank win last year. Yeah, well, so I was like, I, it, I was like man, yeah. I didn't, didn't think about it that way. But oh man, it's a dagger. But you know, credit to Billy Napier here for uh, right away getting one. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the the thing you always the thing that always concerned you about Dan Mullen um, and the reason recruiting was such a hot button issue with Dan Mullen is that recruiting means hope. And that if you're bringing in elite recruiting, it's why Jimbo Fisher doesn't get the same heat Dan Mullen does because Jimbo Fisher has had <laughs> very similar records to what Dan Mullen had when he was at Florida. In fact, maybe even a little bit more lackluster. But the reason Fisher doesn't get that heat is because he's giving the program hope, especially with this past recruiting class. And so people look at it and say, hey, we're going to give him some time because developing those guys on the horizon is going to bring better days ahead. And the reason that Mullen essentially had the fan base turn on him real quick last year is for two reasons. One, just his general personality and demeanor in answering some of the questions. But the other was that everyone could see the recruiting and we said, okay, he's going to have to outcoach people on the field. And when that didn't materialize, then your hope was gone. You were sitting there saying, we do need better players in order to compete. You're not just going to be able to coach your way to championships. You're going to constantly sort of come up short. And I think the phrase that I used was be the Auburn of the East, and that's sort of where you're going to end up. So Napier has obviously had pretty pretty decent success over the last month or two on the recruiting trail, and so that sort of raised that hope for the for the program overall. And you come out and you immediately compete against what's probably a top 20 team in Utah. I don't think this is really a top 10 team. Maybe they're on the periphery. Maybe they're 12, 13, 14. But I think they're kind of about as good as they were last year. And so wherever they wound up is, is kind of what you probably should expect. But that's still a, a solid, solid college football team that's coming in first game of the year, brand new scheme, brand new defensive scheme and offensive scheme. And to be able to come out there and compete with them – I think says something about the process that these guys have put in place. And that's been the thing that was missing under Jim McElwain. It was the thing that was missing under Dan Mullen and Billy Napier came in talking about process. I mean, we had a podcast, what, four or five months ago where we were going over the way he charted plays and, and how he ran things. And I'll tell you what, he knew Utah's tendencies in the red zone because first down from the two-inch line, and he runs that flood play with the with the play action with Anthony Richardson. He knew they were going to crash, and because if you don't know he's going to crash, you end up with a quarterback in distress back there in in the in the uh, you know rolling out if the defensive end stays home. So you know all of that attention to detail, all of that process culminates in a team that really won the game but kept shooting itself in the foot over and over and over again. And so again, I go back to that word hope. You look at it and say Florida won the game against a quality opponent in Napier's first game even though a lot of the discipline things that we expect to get fixed over time were still there. And so when those discipline things get fixed, and, you know, is it going to be against Kentucky? Is it going to be against Tennessee? Is it going to be against Georgia? Is it going to be next year? We don't really know. But when those discipline things get fixed, this is going to be a team that's going to be able to compete with anybody because they have Anthony Richardson, a quarterback, and because now they're not they're not killing themselves with penalties and turnovers and all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I think it goes back to that word hope. I mean, this it's not this win means nothing if you finish the rest of the season six and six or you know six and five. You end up sitting there going, okay, it's a seven and five season. It's kind of exactly what we expected. So you still need to follow it up. But, man, does it inject hope into the veins of every Gator mm -hmm. fan out there that this isn't a lost season, right? That it's not just like a 7-5, and five, um, you know, hey, we might lose to Louisiana Monroe. We're building up to something bigger uh, and that sort of stuff. It's, hey, we got a quarterback who's really got an opportunity to do some special things, and maybe we can take advantage in a way coaches haven't been able to take advantage of in the past. Because usually when you take a new job, 
you don't have Anthony Richardson sitting there with a couple of years of eligibility left sitting on the bench. Yeah, because usually a coach plays a special player, so you know usually <laughs> there's not usually there's not a coaching change in that, in that scenario. But anyway, um, yeah, it, you know just the, the the excitement leading up to the game will it goes a long way. It turned a few heads in the country, uh, even in in the own fan base here. Uh, and I put it out there. I'm probably still, I guess, taking your comment there. I'm probably still higher on Utah. Uh, I think Utah's a really good team. Uh, I thought they were you know properly rated coming into the season. I thought Florida was underrated. You and I both thought Florida was underrated there. Uh, I had still picked Florida second in the SEC East uh, at, back at SEC Media Days. Uh, you released your article last week, kind of profiling where you would have, you know, <laughs> you know, it was probably a little bit too soon to put Kentucky and Tennessee up there uh, above Florida. So yeah, it's stiff, um going going and looking at it that way definitely turned some heads uh, around the country, around the SEC. Uh, and look, as you as you said, it will. I'll, I'll end it there. Great start. It doesn't mean instant success, but we talk about process all the time. There's a buy-in. Uh, I think now there's a buy-in from multiple directions. As I said, from the from the, I think from the administration now with, with something we saw on the field, the fan base, the team. Uh, it, it goes a long way there. Well, I mean, put it this way: I, I think Utah finished last year 12th. I think that's probably around where they're going to end up this year. Yeah. So that is a quality, quality win, right? But that's not beating Clemson or Notre Dame or Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia. And so we need to be very, very, very happy and impressed and hopeful with a win like this while also recognizing that you need to improve in order to beat those teams I just listed. And both of those things can be true. So this yep. is not – I don't think Utah is going to you know, fall off a cliff and finish you know, eight and four and you know, just barely holding on to a top 25 ranking. But I think 12th to 15th is probably a proper place for them to be. And had they come in and beaten Florida, then maybe 7th might have been the place for them to be. <laughs> and it wasn't that far off from that. So th this is a very good team, a very well-coached team. Because, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, I, I was very impressed with the way they were able to execute. Florida had more false starts than they did. Florida had, well, the potential for more turnovers than they did. Um, everything really, they they did everything they could to overcome some of the disadvantages that they had in the game. And it came down to the last play. And so, you know, I think if you're Utah fans, I mean, I even said this to some Utah fans when I was leaving, that was a heck of a game. And, you know, it, it they traveled really well. So they've mm -hmm. got fan support. That program has the stability that I think Gator fans would, would long for, right? If, if Napier's here as long as Whittingham has been at, uh, at Utah, we'd be very pleased for two reasons. One is if he's here that long, that means he's won a couple of national championships. Oh, yeah. Big say for Florida, the expectation, if he's here that long, we're, we're winning natties, baby. <laughs> yeah. But again, I mean, I think that's, that, that's the thing is I looked at that team and said, other than the fact that Napier's going to get more skilled players and want more skilled players on the outside, that is what he wants to emulate. He wants to have a guy like Tavian Thomas who can just ram you right up the middle. And it doesn't matter what you do, it's going to be seven yards. <laughs> and, you know, he wants to have um, tight ends who can create mismatches all over the field. He's not there yet, but he wants to have that. So I look at it and I go, that's not a bad model to look at in terms of what Florida's going to try to do. But Florida should have access to more talent, which will give them the opportunity to sort of soup that up. And look, it was a little bit interesting. I mean, it really was Florida looking into a mirror on this one in terms of, uh, 
the stats last year, but then also the ability of these two teams and where they're going to go and the philosophy and how they want to run things. Um, very impressed with Utah, but obviously, uh, you know, very impressed with Florida too for the first game. I mean, we're going to talk all about, I'm sure, the things that can be fixed, and there are plenty of those. But, uh, you know, you come out with a win. It's a big deal to come out with a win and, uh, you know, certainly sets the tone for 2022 and, and puts people on notice that, hey, you know, you're not going to be able to just roll the ball out there and beat Florida this year, maybe like you could last year. It's going to be a fight. And that that goes for teams like Georgia and A&M, too. Uh, well, you mentioned, you know, kind of the identity and philosophy of Florida. Well, Billy Napier speaks on that, too, as we will kind of transition. Well, uh, something I kind of wanted to bring up here. I brought it up a little bit yesterday in the game review, but. Man, talk about Billy Napier's transfer portal additions and the addition and the performance they had uh, Saturday versus Utah. Well, with that, let's start with the offensive line, Osiris Torrance, and then, of course, Montreal Johnson, Ricky Pearsall having some big roles as well uh, versus Utah. But let's start right here up front for the Gators. You know, that's, that's kind of who we want to be. You know, I mean, that's the brand of football that we played in the past. We invest in that area. We have two offensive line coaches uh, we put a premium on line of scrimmage play. Uh, that's a developmental position. Um, but certainly Osiris, um, he rose to the occasion. You know, I think we've always felt that Osiris was one of the better players out there, and, and he showed it. You know, he was one of our players of the game. Um, and I think that his comfort with the system Right, his comfort with the routine, I think that rubs off on that group a little bit. Uh, but uh, Coach Stapleton and Coach Sell are really good at what they do in that group. You know, I think well, there, there's area, there's a lot of room for improvement there. But uh, we're getting closer to the identity that we want that group to have. Well, man, whether it was either asking Osiris Torrance as an offensive lineman just to get upfield and create holes, getting to a second level, or you know, with this zone run scheme and all right, you need to move that guy to the left. So there's a big jack gigantic cutback lane to the right. You know what? It didn't matter what Billy Napier was asking Osiris Torrance to do or that offensive line for that matter. But, you know, speaking on just the topic of the, of the, the importance Saturday night of the transfers. Yeah. Osiris Torrance pretty much lived up to the billing. I think that we, it was that we, that we expected him to hit. Uh, he lived, he lived up to that expectation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, when Florida needed drives, what side of the ball did they, what side yeah. of the formation did they run the ball? <laughs> yeah. Right. They ran it right behind the right guard. Tarquin did a really nice job, especially on a couple of plays, um, the touchdown specifically for Johnson, where he had to cut back. You know, and then you've got a weapon like Richardson to hold defensive ends and make it easier for your offensive linemen. But I just go back to, you know, you think about, I was watching that LSU Florida State game last night, and Jaden Daniels got there was a three man rush for Florida State. They got a they got a sack on a guy going on the outside, and the commentator was correct when he said, "There's no way your right tackle can get beat outside. He's got a guard to sort of filter him back to on the inside." And I think a big part of what you saw on the offensive line last night is everybody doing their jobs, or two nights ago, everybody doing their jobs. They were all out there doing their specific job. Now the scheme specifically sort of 
fosters that because you just fire off into a zone and then find the guy that you need to get. And so it's pretty clear that you're going to have to do, you know, it'll be it'll be obvious if you're not doing your job in those specific in those specific cases but look having a guy who's NFL ready sitting there in a right guard after last year being a team that could run the ball pretty extensively and now you can go either side right i mean Ethan White and and Egwiken and Garage were all pretty good when Florida decided to run left last year and now they're going to be able to do it to either side and and have a guy like Torrance who's an NFL quality offensive lineman, I think it really sort of varies what they're going to be able to do. And that now allows garage and the guys on the left-hand side of the line to clear things out when Richardson decides to pull it down. And there were probably a few plays where I think Richardson, when he goes back and looks at the film is going to go, Ooh, they were filtering a little bit too far over to the right. I probably should have held on to that one. Yep. And <laughs> there were, there were a few that were open on, 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 on the back end there. And, uh, He's going to figure that out as we go, and all of a sudden you're going to have two or three 45-yard runs, not just the one. And, uh, you know, look, Torrance is the linchpin that allows you to do that because if you can fire, if you can have an offensive line that can block on either side, if you can run to the right or you can run to the left. And, with, if you and, know, and, and going that, just before you keep going right or left, I mean, at the beginning of the game, it was obvious. I mean, Naquan Wright, his big run to the left uh, with the you know, opposite Torrance, uh, the Montreal Johnson fumble, which we'll get into in just a second, that was to the left. Uh, he lays a big hit, but you know he'll he's got only got one defender to lay out, and he he lays him out and fumbles down the field. But as you said, you know toward the beginning of the game, it was left right because ETN comes in and it's all the way to the right there. So we saw it early with some success on both sides. Well, and what that does is it freezes the linebackers like like crazy, right? The fact that you don't know which direction the run is going to come means that as a linebacker, you can't cheat. You don't. You, you know, you can't anticipate. And in a zone scheme specifically, that gives the offensive lineman an extra half step to get in front of you and allow the running backs to have a cutback lane. And what we saw is even early on, Florida was able to take advantage of that. But certainly when you got to the third and fourth quarter, Florida basically said, all right, Osiris, just take us home. We're going to run behind you this entire time. You and, and it's not a coincidence that when it came down to when it came down to those third downs where they had Anthony Richardson running keepers, it's not a coincidence that when they were running the red zone stuff where they were, you know, essentially you figure that yes, it's a read option, but Richardson's probably the guy who's going to keep it on those sorts of things. That those read options went right, right over to the right side. Then Florida's right side of its offensive line is better. We knew it would be better coming in. The question is, how would it gel? And I think we saw that their offensive line is going to be even better than it was last year. And this was a top 10 rushing offense last year. Obviously, it's a different scheme, but a top 10 rushing offense able to move guys off the ball, smart guys who who know how to get to the second level and take on linebackers. And uh, they were able to do that for, for, you know, 15 to 17 yard gains. They really weren't able to pop any of the big ones, but those big ones are going to come. You can see that they're going to come. And I'm excited to see what happens against teams like Kentucky and Tennessee and, and some other SEC teams that don't have better talent than Florida, and all of a sudden is Florida going to be able to pop some of these running plays that they just haven't had the last you know four or five, six years? All right, let's keep transfer talk going. We've kind of teased him a little bit, but Montreal Johnson had a big night as well. After an early mistake, and he goes into that trust uh, that the coaches have in him. Oh, it, it, it meant a lot to me because it, it just showed me that you know he has a lot of trust in me, a lot of trust in my game, and uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm glad he did because I think I would have had a, a bad game of, you know, if I if I got the ball later later in the game. So I'm glad he came back to me. How did you flush it? You think mentally? Uh, mentally, uh, I flushed it by like, my teammates. Like when I got back to the sideline, uh, my teammates they they came over. You know, they they encouraged me. 
Uh, they picked my head up when I was down, and I really appreciate that out of them. What will you remember from that game 10, 20, 30 years from now? Probably that fumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Did it, did it bother you that much? Yeah, it bothered me that much. Like I was really uncomfortable with it. They're gonna have to roll you this week. You think you're gonna have to, to roll after practice for the fumble? Yeah, Naquan and uh, Anthony told me that, and I think I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm gonna pay my dues. I'm... Well, I don't think this is gonna be a fun, uh, fun week of practice for uh, Trevor Etienne and, and Montreal Johnson. A little bit because they had some big plays, of course, but uh, man, putting the ball on the ground that that, that you know Florida was behind you know, very early on, but because of that fumble there. But as you said, a lot of trust there, and that's probably where history plays a little bit of a factor. Billy Napier knows what he has in, in Montreal Johnson, thankfully going back to a, to a year. He knows he can trust him. Uh, and, you know, what's – I know coming off of a staff, and, and I saw the tweets, two shouldn't be out there ever again. <laughs> we saw it early on. And of course, a, a complete overreaction, but we saw it. You know, and the Billy Napier knows what he has in Montreal Johnson. He was out there not very long a, a, after that fumble. I mean, ETN even fumbles later on in the game, and – he didn't come off the field right away. They kept him right out there. So there, there seems to be a level of trust with these coaches towards these players. And Montreal Johnson knows it's probably not going to be a fun week at practice. But he look, I, I don't listening to him right now. He's probably more disappointed in himself and that fumble than the coaches are. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you always want somebody who's going to look at the things that they can do and, and get better. It's, you know, I mean, we all remember the the fumble by uh, <laughs> in the Georgia game in 2012 mm. by, by Jordan Reed, right? We all remember that one, and it's just a killer. And, you know, this had the potential to do that. I mean, Anthony Richardson runs him down, but they still converted into a touchdown. You're down 7 nothing before even the, the – before the flyover is barely even finished. And, <laughs> you know, it just – felt like the Alabama game from last year where things could have gotten out of control pretty quickly. And even though Florida dominated that game against Bama last year, especially, you know, for the from the second quarter on, they just dug themselves such a deep hole that they couldn't get back and the the defense specifically sort of held on and this one kept kept Utah kicking field goals whereas last year against Alabama it was 21 nothing before 21 to 3 before he could even blink. So Johnson owes a stake or something to his defense in terms of being able to help keep it close there early. But, look, you can't take out a running back just because he fumbles once. I mean, we saw this a few years ago. Malik Davis fumbled real early on, and then we never saw him again. And then all of a sudden, later in the year when things started to fall apart, it's like, look, he's our best running back. Like, you don't want to find that out week six and seven. Like, you have to you have to let it ride. You have to let these guys make mistakes. They're going to make mistakes. I think the point that Napier made about, hey, he expects to see a cleaner game next week is right. They all went out there. They experienced the speed of a big-time college football game. They experienced the adrenaline of a big-time college football game football game when they experienced the tightness of a close big time college football game and that should help them improve this week now look if johnson puts the ball on the ground every single game he's going to have to start to sit and this is that fine line that you walk right because Mm -hmm. we look at it and say one of the problems one of the things that was missing you know two three years ago was when people missed assignments and and screwed things up that there wasn't somebody ready to come in and help fix that afterwards. You know, that it was the same five offensive linemen, no matter what the Marco Wilson throws the shoe and he stays on the field. So there is a fine line between a player who goes out there and makes a mistake and allowing them the freedom to make mistakes and a player who continuously makes mistakes, who needs to be replaced. And, you know, we, we need to trust, I guess that Napier is going to be able to do that, but we also need to pay attention to it because Montreal Johnson is not perfect. 
No running back's perfect. You're going to fumble the ball from time to time. But the fact that two running backs, in fact, the two most effective running backs put the ball on the ground in the game and, and really at critical times, that opening drive, they were they were driving right down the field. That mm-hmm. was going to be 7 nothing Florida, and it was going to be something where the swamp was going to be lit, rising, it doesn't have the ball yet. You have an opportunity to pin Utah deep after a kickoff, down 7 nothing in your home field. And instead, Utah has kind of a muted crowd because of the fumble. 25 yards to go they're able to put that in for a touchdown and now the swamp is sitting there sort of stunned um you know so a critical moment same thing with etn i mean the the fumble there i mean geez like if if that fumble gets recovered then you've you've by utah then you sort of ruined all the time you spent building that drive heading down for the uh you know for the winning touchdown and now have to use your timeouts to get the ball back and you know i'm not sure they would have gotten the ball back the way Utah's was playing so um you know, a little bit lucky on the, a little bit unlucky maybe on the first one, just in terms of it getting run all the way back. Yeah. A little bit, lu- definitely lucky on the second one that ETN was able to get it back. Um, but no, you, you don't, you don't bench somebody that you have confidence in that you've seen all fall. The question is, has he been putting the ground on the ball? And has he been putting the ball on the ground in the fall? If so, then we got to have a talking to, and maybe maybe the playing time starts to adjust. If this is the first time the ball's come out in a while, then you go, geez, just happened at the worst time, and yeah, you got to get him back out there. Yeah, good to see him. Uh, I like what I saw from him. He did show that power. Uh, that, that, as I say, even on that fumble, he bowled somebody over. Uh, and then the outcome of that kind of, you know, um, has to kind of recover. And during that recovery is when the, the ball gets punched out uh, by the Utah defender. So, I mean, good, as he said, it was a good play by the Utah defender uh, as he's coming up trying to recover from that hard hit that he laid, you know, and then a smart play uh, by the Utah defender there. And then – one more, we should look at all the accolades for Ricky Pearsall coming in at the wide receiver position. Seems to hold true as well. Will, four catches, all four went for first downs, um, was used down the field uh, a bit there for was Ricky Pearsall. And look, he was probably the guy I, I looked at maybe with some of those screens that Xavier Henderson got. Okay, okay that might be Pearsall. He, he's the guy that can maybe break one of those tackles and take it the distance. Well, Xavier Henderson had a role there, but Pearsall's role definitely – uh, go get go get some first downs. Yeah, I mean it was enormous. I mean the third and fifteen on the first touchdown drive. Um, you know it, well, it was kind of man, that was a beautiful pitching catch, wasn't it? <laughs> well, and I actually got fooled live. I thought it was cover two, and Utah did something pretty. Utah dropped their safety in an under coverage and had their corner go over top, which was different. And still, Pearsall read it right, made an adjustment, and then and then Richardson read it right and made a beautiful throw there. Um, you know, but. Hey, that's that that was key to getting the touchdown. And I think if you look back at every touchdown drive that Florida had, maybe save the last one, there was a completion to Pearsall that really sort of moved the chains and kept everything moving. The only honestly, if you look, they you had a couple of bubble screens, you had play action where they rolled out Richardson, gave him a half field read, you know, short, medium, and long on a flood. Um, other than that, to me, I think the only good time he actually completed a ball down the field out of the pocket might have been to Pearsall. And so, yeah. um, you know, you look at that and say that's a place to develop, but that's also a limitation in terms of the passing game. The interesting thing is, is that that route or the routes that he was running down the middle are things that during the spring game we saw from from uh, um, 
the tight ends. You know, we saw Zipper do that. We saw Xanders do that. And now Pearsall is getting those down the middle runs. So when you look at this offense, I do think one of the things you might even start to consider Pearsall as is an extension of the tight end room, that they're making adjustments, having three wide out there and having Pearsall run some of those routes down the middle of the field that normally if you had two tight ends you were comfortable with, you might run them with that, run it with those. So um, obviously, I mean, you know, we, we all sort of got a lump in our throat when he went down the first day of, of fall mm-hmm. camp. And then a week later, they have Mount calling it a soft tissue injury. And you're like, oh, geez, is this going to be, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Like, what what is this going to be? And, you know, he's back later that week. And and you're like, well, but is he going to be limited? And you know, it didn't look limited in this one. So I'm going to be key for Florida to keep him healthy. Um, I, I, I don't know that he was the best receiver i don't know that you know i don't know that i give anybody that that nod for this one specifically i think you know henderson made an enormous play putting his foot on the ground on a little Mm -hmm. swing pass was able to get a first down on that uh on that last drive Uh, you know and and six for 41 i mean that that's that's really stepping into a role that he hasn't had before. I mean, six Mm-mm. catches in the game for Henderson, I would assume that's probably his career high. So, you know, I, I, I think Pearsall did a great job. Obviously, I think the thing that we're really looking at here is, you know, when Dan Mullen came in, he brought in Trevon Grimes, he brought in Van Jefferson, and, and those guys, and he brought in Adam Schuler, and those guys all stepped into major roles and were a big reason that that team went 10 and three. And now you're looking at this one saying, and, and one of the things you talk about when you bring in guys to the transfer portal is you have to hit. Because you've had time to evaluate them, and so you're wasting a spot, you're wasting a scholarship, and you're you're limiting what you can do in high school recruiting if these guys come in and don't hit. So the fact that Torrance had a big first game, the fact that Pearsall had key plays in the first game, and the fact that Johnson was everything we thought he would be in the first game, save the fumble, tells you that Napier has hit in his evaluation, and I think that's a serious key to why Florida may be successful this year. Obviously, two of those guys come from Louisiana, um, so, so Napier should have Definitely had a really good evaluation, but but Pearsall was a big reason why they were able to move the ball. So clearly, he and Anthony Richardson have developed some chemistry, um, even though it's been a relatively limited time. So good to see him out there, and obviously some big catches there. Um, none more so than that third and fifteen that sort of swung the momentum when it looked like Utah might really be able to take a stranglehold. Yeah, one place we uh we thought we'd see some transfers going back to the transfer portal was up front on defense and we did not get that and probably a place we would like to have seen some impact transfers. Like if we, if Florida had two defensive linemen that had the impact of Torrance, Pearsall, and Johnson, you know, maybe Florida doesn't get run on in the second half uh, like they did, but it happened. Got to do, you know, got to work with what we have and we'll get into all that. Uh, Billy Napier goes into some of the problems on defense, but before we get there, Bills and Rams, Prepare to kick off the NFL regular season. Gators and Wildcats Saturday. Now it's time to prepare for your winning season at MyBookie. Whether you're a veteran better or a first-timer, MyBookie gets you the most for your money with a double deposit bonus. It's quick and easy. A $250 deposit puts $500 in your account, and you can use your funds to bet instantly on as many games, contests, and props as you want. To claim your bonus, register today. Use promo code GATORS. It add more excitement to the games and sports that you love. Bet on team win totals, predict the Super Bowl winner, or use the MyBookie Prop Builder and secure the bag. Your winning season begins today exclusively at MyBookie.ag. All right, Will, so yeah, definitely could have used uh, some impact transfer guys up front for the defense. Not to be the case. Florida, we know what Florida has up front. It was in, uh, a worry that we had all year uh, coming or leading up to this year. 
pretty good start in the first half. Uh, probably played a little bit better uh, than I thought. And then second half, Utah comes out. We'll get into all everything they had to do. But let's hear from Billy Napier. He had a lot and you know, a lot to say on this defensive performance. And also Tyreek Sapp gets his thoughts as well. And I think it comes down to precision and and our play. Um, you know, that's a physical team. You know, I, I've got respect for their line of scrimmage play, their edge play, the backs are big. Um, you know, I think that we need to align correctly. We need to communicate at a high level, align correctly, get our eyes on the right things, and then we need to use the fundamentals and techniques that we're coached to use um, and play team defense, right? I think sometimes just one player being out misaligned causes, um, you know, the combinations to be a little bit more you're stressing uh, a part of the defense, right? We got to play team defense, first level, second level, third level. Got to work together and play team defense, right? One player uh, is out of their gap. You know, when you're playing a good team, you can get exposed, and I think we saw a little bit of that. Yeah, we most definitely we most definitely get that cleaned up. We don't put the film to rest. Now we just gonna get that cleaned up. Just making sure everybody's on the same page. Obviously, that was my that was my first game ever in the swamp, and I can tell you right now, the swamp is real. The swamp is real. So you gotta you gotta buckle up and be ready for that. So I just think we're gonna be better on the communication factor of things, and just and just be better team as team, and just playing team defense and understanding what we had to do in our alignments, just being in place. So you think the crowd noise impacted that a little bit? You know, the fact that you guys couldn't hear or something or no? Yeah, a little bit, just a little bit. Just but, watching the film and having the coaches critique you, does that bring you down a little bit off your high? Yeah, it brings you down. It, bring, it, it brings you down a little bit, but you understand, you accept that because you understand that this is what you need and this is what it's going to take for us to be better and for us to improve throughout the throughout the uh, weeks, throughout these games, week in and week out, just being better against different opponents. Well, it was no secret what Florida needed to do to beat Utah. And mostly, mostly good performance in the first half stopping the run, but Utah made adjustments uh, pair that with Napier's assessment of, of gap integrity and, and communication. It was a recipe <laughs> for a struggle in the second half. Um, you know, I, I go back. There was one in the first half, too. It was a third and three. Utah converted in the first half. Gap integrity non-existent, uh, maybe due to a, a misalignment, kind of like Napier's saying. Had a few guys move to their right side, right into the B gap. Run goes to the opposite side of the formation, but you have two guys aiming for one gap there for for, for, for the Gators. Uh, you definitely missed something, whether it be, as I said, a misalignment or a miscommunication. Something wasn't right there. And then second half, you know, Utah comes out. You see six offensive linemen at times, even three tight ends at times, went straight at the Florida front. There wasn't much left to right running. There was – we're going. We're getting up and down, uh, and, and we're going to do it with either six offensive linemen or three tight ends at time. They'd bunch those guys up. That they'd get to the second level on, on one side of the formation as well. So Utah definitely identified some things. Will and you know, I think halftime adjustments sometimes can be over exaggerated, but not not Saturday night. Utah changed some things in the second half, and it made a big difference there. And a lot of the worries that we had about this Gator. Defensive line group really came to fruition in the second half of that game. 
Yeah, it actually started in the second quarter. So they averaged 2.3 yards per rush and only ran the ball three times, threw it seven times in the first quarter. Then they have 12 for 52, so averaged 4.3 yards per rush in the second. Then 17 for 103 there in the third quarter, averaged 6.1. And then even in the fourth quarter, when they when you thought they'd have to throw a little bit, seven for 68, so averaged almost 10 yards of rush, 9.7 there. I think some of that you could tell by the time the third quarter hit that Florida's defense was gassed. They had that they had the big drive down to start the second half. Um, you know, go go right ahead there. Utah does, and after that, the defense just looked gassed for the rest of the for the rest of the half. And part of that is is that Utah made adjustments and brought extra offensive linemen in, and I'm sure Florida's going to get a big dose of that from all of its opponents coming up, right? But at the same time, to me, it had more to do with it was always second and six. It was always second and four. It was never second and 12. And so the the thing that Utah, I think, adjusted is I don't remember, and I'm sure there was one or two, but I don't remember an incompletion and then it being second and 10 mm. in that entire second half. They were yep. never behind the chains that entire second half. And part of that is you look at the tackles for loss. Florida has two, one from Trey Dean, a half from Ventrell Miller, and a half from Brenton Cox. And so your defensive end has a half a tackle for loss. Okay, he had 10 tackles too, so he was doing a lot. He was doing yeoman's work when it came to helping to stop the run. But everybody else, you look at guys like, uh, you know, you got human. Jervon Dexter's name was barely called. Uh, I mean, he had five tackles, but nothing where he's pushing up the yeah, middle. Yeah, right? nothing. Right. And and I think if you look at the quarterback hurries too, Brenton Cox had one, Miller had one, Dexter had one, Shamar James had one, and Human Milan had one. The those are the defensive ends. The defensive ends, other than Dexter, and even there, Dexter's sort of a defensive end. Those are the guys who were getting upfield and forcing, uh, forcing rising to scramble when they because they were able to pressure him mm-hmm. a little bit, make him adjust, and do yeah. things like that. They just weren't really able to finish the play. Um, you look at though guys like Sap, guys like Powell, guys like Desmond Watson. You're not you're you weren't seeing that push up the middle, and and that's the thing, especially in the third and fourth quarter. You know, you get to second and four, third and three, and there was just no push anymore mm. from the Gator defense, which meant Rising could convert, which meant that then you had to deal with the first down run again, and you were already gassed from the last series, and and that just sort of perpetuates itself. They're going to have to find somebody who can get some pressure up the middle, or they're going to have to find a rotation where they can just keep people fresh when those sorts of things are going on. I don't know whether they have the personnel to do it this year. And like I said at the beginning, I said the the best case scenario for Florida was an offense that could carry them and a defense that could be average. Well, the defense was above average in the first quarter. It was average in the second quarter. It was below average in the third quarter and well below average in the fourth quarter. But you look at it over the entire course of the year, uh, the entire course of the game, and they were about average. And I think that's kind of what you're going to see for the rest of the year. Yeah, there's some things they'll be able to clean up. Yes, you have to be in your correct gaps, all that sort of stuff. The one thing I will say, and this is something that I think. And also, no- Will, one more, like Napier said, pretty good credit to Utah, too. That's a good offense. Absolutely. But the, the so here's the one thing that I will say is that everyone seemed, for the most part, knew what their job was. There were certain things that got missed and that sort of stuff. But the one that really jumps to mind to me is they blitzed, I believe it was Torrance, from the safety position. He comes up, and they had to rotate somebody back in order to be in front of Keithy, who was running a running a slant. 
And Rising made a terrible throw and threw it into the ground, and it would have been a completion anyway. Yeah. But it would have been a completion for 12 or 13 yards. It wouldn't have been a completion for a touchdown. And last year, that plays a touchdown because when when you, when they were bringing guys from exotic places, everybody didn't know where to go. So what you could see is you could see and, – and again, the runs from Thomas, hey, there were some opportunities there for 8, 9, 10 yards. I don't recall – I mean, what was Thomas's longest run on the night? I, I would guess it was <sighs> – so 22. 22 yeah. is his longest, but I, I would say that was – but he right, but only like, had 115. I, I, right, going to your point, this wasn't South Carolina. This wasn't LSU. Did they have some of those same issues? Yeah, but you didn't get the 40-yard pop run for a big score. Or, as you're saying, going to the passing game, they didn't see the big busted there, – there were no busted coverages. I mean, as far as you know, letting it go for an inexcusable touchdown, yeah, as you're right. I mean, we the team played smarter. Yeah. Well, and and so coming in, that's not Utah's forte, right? Utah does not hit right. a ton of explosive plays. So the question then is: it Utah? Is it, is it Florida's defensive improvement? I think it's both. But you know, you could see the makings of a team that know what their job is and are going to be able to execute over time. But now they're going to have to start winning some physical battles. And that those are the sort of my two takeaways is I didn't see anybody up front, especially in the interior of the defense, who was winning physical one-on-one battles on a consistent basis. And then when Utah loaded up, they didn't have any more bodies. And so they were just gassed by the time the end of the game came around. They're going to have to find some more bodies. And whether that's, you know, McMillan coming in, giving them more time, whether it's, you know, Lions or, you know, they're going to have to find some guys who come in and are able to just be bodies. And, you know, we'll we'll see what's happening. Yeah. And one more play, Will. Their touchdown to take the lead when it was 14 13. You know, it was an up and down day for Brenton Cox, but there was the one time he actually did set the edge. He forced the, the running back back in. No one steps up and makes a tackle whatsoever. Trey Dean was held and thrown down. I mean, I don't know how they don't call the flag there anyway. Uh, so maybe it, sh- maybe it wouldn't have happened at that point, but still Dexter Watson are kind of in position. Nobody makes the tackle. Jason Marshall, after that, has to go dive at his legs. And Tavion Thomas is a huge running back. So, I mean, to expecting Jason Marshall to make that tackle many times, probably not going to happen. Bernie gets blocked out of the play. I mean, so for, for one time, you know, Cox did his job there, forced it back inside. There were plenty of defenders there to make a play, and nobody did, and Utah takes the lead. So I meant Lee, not Jalen Lee, not Lions there. Okay, yeah, okay. Lions. Everybody's sitting there going, who the hell is he talking about? Yeah, Jalen Lee is who I was talking about. Now, I, so here, here's what I'll say when you, when you go back and look at it, I think, in detail. What you're going to find is that there were times that the defense was a step slow, but they all knew what their job was. Mm-hmm. And one of the plays I diagrammed in the article that went up on Read Reaction um, on Sunday is the play where um, – where Rashad Torrance made the tackle to keep Utah to a field goal there when it was 10 to 7. That was a huge play. It was a little and if I'm not mistaken, to- the play before that, he had missed a big tackle. Oh, yeah. yeah and he then responded. Yeah. yeah. Well, but beyond that, and, and the thing that I, that I wanted to go to that you were talking about there is that Torrance makes the tackle, but the guy who made the play was Trevez Johnson. Oh, yeah. Because the wide receiver's out there blocking, and if he knocks Johnson back two yards, he can get around the edge, and he's going to get in for a score. But Johnson knocks him back right into the – like he knocks his defender right back into the runner, but also maintains leverage on the outside, which forces him back to the inside. And then he can't cut back further to the inside because Shamar James and Ventrell Miller are coming from the inside, and so he has to try to take on Torrance. Has to try to take on Torrance. And Torrance makes that tackle, 
But even if Torrance misses it, you've got guys all over the place to stop it and make sure that, mm-hmm. yeah, he's probably getting a first down if he gets by Torrance, but he's not getting to the end zone. And, and so, you know, again, I, I talk about guys being a step slow. That was one where they weren't. They were in the red zone and they just fired. And I think and did their job too with, yeah. with Trevez there. Like he could have easily tried to make the tackle and, as you said, would have been out of position there. Absolutely. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is that the, the lack of success in the red zone for Utah, I do think has to do with one, it's constricted, right? So even if you're a little bit slower, a little bit indecisive, you're still able to recover. And then the other thing is, is that to heck with it. If you miss it, it doesn't matter anyway, you may (laughs) as well go for it. And so I do think there was a little bit of almost relaxation when Florida got backed up on its own red zone and and, and was able to maybe make some adjustments that they weren't making in the open field. So I think you take a lot of good out of this one. I think you can look at it, though, and say, you know, I'm worried when, you know, Georgia and its 17 five-star tight ends come to town and, you know, you're going to have to deal with an off- with a team that's going to put a bunch of people up there and say and dare you to stop the run. Is Florida going to be able to do that in the third and fourth quarter against those teams? I don't know, but I think we all sort of saw that as a weakness heading into this year. They were able to mitigate that weakness as best they could. They certainly shored up the back end of the defense to where they weren't giving up giant plays up and down the field, which meant that, yeah, Utah was able to hold onto the ball. They were able to limit possessions. They were able to drive, but every drive for Utah took 12, 13, 14 Florida plays. Florida made it work for it. And, and so if nothing else, you know, there's an opportunity for Utah to screw things up. Now, they didn't very often. But lesser teams are going to. And so, you know, against teams that I think are coming up on the schedule, Florida's defense is going to look better, mm-hmm. even if they aren't necessarily, even if they're playing at about the same level. Uh, well, and yeah, I, I, I don't want to sound too negative here for, for this. The, the goal line stand. Yeah. And there were in those third and goal and fourth and goal plays from guys that we need to hear more for, from, kind of going to your point from earlier. I mean, the third and goal. It was Antoine Powell who comes off the edge and just speeds to the tackle, sets up the fourth and goal. Tyreek Sepp takes on the block, and that what that's what allows Ventrell Miller to just come in and just pop Thomas uh, and stop him. And that was that was set up by Sapp just bowling over his. There's a lane right there that just Ventrell Miller just shoots through, and that's what Florida was missing last year as a linebacker. Nobody would have came in last year and filled that gap and popped the and, and popped the uh, the running back and stopped that big big momentum shift. Of course, there for the Gators when that was the first drive of the second half. Utah was driving down. Uh, would have been possibly a difference later on in the game, but uh, the, the 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 name Antron Powell, you know, and Tyreek Sapp. It, that that's what we need to see more of. Of course. Yeah. Well, you know how we know that last year's linebackers wouldn't have come up and filled the hole. Because we saw where you're going. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> we might have saw it every time that Montreal Johnson got the ball in there the third and fourth quarter in, in the game the other night. But nah, look, I, again, I, I go back to if you're asking me, was the defensive line perfect? The answer is no. If you're asking me, do I have concerns about the defensive line still after one game? The answer is yes. If you're asking me, do I think that this was worlds better than a defense headed by Todd Grantham? I'm also going to tell you yes. <laughs> and do I think that Florida. Um, is going to have more success getting off the field against teams that are lesser than Utah? I think the answer is also yes. So the places where I get concerned are when you go on the road to Knoxville against Tennessee. Are you going to be able to get off the field? Look, Tennessee is going to have a really good offense, and that's going to be a test. And the things that are the little 
things that are details are going to have to get fixed, but you got three weeks to fix it. And so, you know, the question is, how big of a Band-Aid can you put over the issues that are personnel-based? There are some personnel-based issues, and we have to accept that. So to expect Florida to be a top-10 defense, I think, is is unfair. To expect them to be in like the 30 to 35, maybe 40th overall, I think is a reasonable expectation. And with a top-10 offense, hell, you're talking about a team with a much better statistical profile than any of those Oklahoma teams that were going up and down the field against everybody. <laughs> so, uh, you know, look, I, I think there are limitations. There are definitely personnel limitations. But a lot of these guys, again, it's their first game of the Swamp. And it's their first real college football experience against a quality opponent. They're going to get better. And so we'll see how it develops. You know, a guy like um, – you know, a guy like Sap may really step up over the next couple of weeks. You look at you look at Brenton Cox last year, sort of pedestrian the first half of the of the year last year, and then all of a sudden steps up into what we think he's going to be and comes out here with ten tackles. In this one, he wasn't in the backfield a ton, but he was instrumental in terms of what they were doing on the defensive line. And so all and, they and need we, is and somebody. We previewed it, and we previewed it last week. There weren't going to be many chances for sacks. And I mean, the, the Utah's system is limit sacks and and run the ball. Yeah, I mean, so the thing I, the thing you look for in this one is tackles for loss. They didn't do that very well, right? And so they gave up 200 yards rushing, <laughs> and and that's why it was close, right? I mean, they couldn't get them off the field, they couldn't stop them, but they stopped them when it was critical, right? They stopped them for mm-hmm. the goal line stand, they stopped them twice down in the red zone when it was seven to seven, and then when it was ten to seven. And if they'd have gotten in when it was ten to seven, that would have been a much different looking ball game. Even with the big long run from Richardson, you're still looking at at you know, 17 to 14, you're down going to the half. Does Napier make different choices at the end of the first half when they get the ball back with 40 seconds? Um, you know, do, do they have to go downfield with Anthony Richardson more often because they're a little bit further behind? Mm-hmm. Like there was never a time where Florida had to compromise what it wants to be on offense in order to try to make up make up space. And a big part of that was the defense holding repeatedly, not just – not just the goal line stand at the one yard line, but you know the red zone stands that that forced field goals there in the first half. Yep. All right. Well, to uh, one last thing from today's press conference, uh, Tyreek Sapp uh, speaking on the leaders of this defense: Mitchell Miller and Jervon Dexter. And the leader in the front seven was Duff V Mill. V Mill, but I always call what my big, but my big leaders always look to. These are guys that I looked to in the game yesterday for me to keep me down because it was my first rodeo. It was a lot of emotions, a lot of nerves going on. So I was looking at these guys like V Mill, Cox, and Dex. Those my God, those who I look to, those my big brothers, and they kept my head in the game, and that was the reason I think I was able to play a stout and do my job for the defense. What does he, what does he do? Because I, I was going to ask you and Branton about. Ventral and I mean he was just all over the field the other night. Man, V Mill is a is a is a phenomenal player. He he plays his heart out every play. He understands he understands the job. He he understands the situation and he's gonna do everything in his power to make sure to make sure he gets his job done and understand that make sure everybody else gets their job done because he knows he's that general in the middle. So is there some vocal leadership that goes with that? Most duff, most duff. He's the most duff vocal leader. He's gonna let you explain. Like he's gonna let you know every play what you got going on. He's gonna let you know. He's gonna reassure you everything that you need. Just he's just gonna keep you in. And he's gonna he's one of those guys that's played a lot of snaps in his career. So when you go on the field with a guy like that, you're pretty comfortable and you pre- you can play pretty confident because you know you got a guy behind you. He understands what's going on. 
Dex is one of those guys. He has like a he has a business like mentality, but he understands that he but he understand even though he he's not been playing this game for a long time, he understands what it takes and what it is to actually prepare for a football game. And he just lets us know week in and week out that we gotta come with a dog mentality. And we gotta come prepared. Like he's played with some teams. He's been on a good team. He's been on a good team in 2020. He played with that team. He got opportunity to play with them. So. He understands what like a championship mentality is. He understands what the preparation is and what the mental and what your mental mind state has to be in to play in games like that. There we go. Well, Tyreek Sapp giving a di- dishing on a lot there for the leaders uh, for the Gators. Ventral Miller, uh, Jervon Dexter, both players with a lot of experience, especially Ventral Miller, of course. Uh, and, and look, and he brings up that kind of scenario where we bring up on the four, the fourth fourth down and goal of, hey, I mean, if I do my job, I know so I got somebody behind me who's going to do theirs. And then I heard Amari Bernie tonight on the, the Gators radio show. <laughs> he said, man, we hear from Ventro Miller even when we don't want to hear from Ventro Miller. He never shuts up, basically. So, uh, you know, there's some camaraderie uh, among the guys right here. And look, look, it was so good to see 51 out there on the field again. And he was clearly, clearly an impact player at the linebacker position versus Utah. Yeah, I mean, he he was all over the place. There were a couple of third downs where Florida was able to force Utah off the field where he had he had coverage on tight ends. And, you know, last year or two years ago, I would have told you that's a bad thing if you have Ventral Miller in coverage on tight ends. He's clearly improved in that space. Uh, maybe need to get him out there with the jugs gun a little bit over the next uh, over the next <laughs> week or so. I'm sure that uh, Bernie and those guys are going to chirp back if he won't stop talking. Like, get, get him out there with the receivers and the jugs gun. But uh, Yeah, well, Bernie um, said he had to thank him because, you know, if if, if – if he didn't drop it, Bernie would have never got the opportunity. So, <laughs> well, and he should be bragging because Bernie's interception looked like a wide receiver, <laughs> yeah, and Miller's like hit him right in the head. So, <laughs> that's what Bernie, of, Bernie did say that. Uh, look, I, that was my wide receiver skills in high school paid off right there. I tell you what, it so from where I was sitting, I just assumed the ball hit the ground. I know, I, and, I, and everybody, I really had to watch the replay before I got too excited because I was like, "There's no way that ball didn't hit the ground." Well, and everybody came. Well, and everybody came running out on the field. I'm like, "Oh my god, they're going to get three 15 yard penalties <laughs> with 20 seconds left, and they're going to overturn this stupid thing. It's going to be first and goal from the one with uh, you know with all that stuff." But uh, look, I mean, I, I think we knew when Ventral Miller went down that 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 was an issue last year. He certainly, again, it's the same thing that you say about. Um, about the defensive line. We know there are limitations, but we also know that there are strengths. And so Miller brings a lot of those strengths from a leadership perspective, but also he's gotten better. I mean, you look yeah. at what he you look at what he did in this game, he's definitely gotten better. Nine tackles, three solo, half a tackle for loss. He he curried the quarterback. So I also think Patrick Tony's maybe using his skill set a little bit more. I mean, the fact that he's hurrying the quarterback means that sometimes the middle linebackers come and um, in order to harass the quarterback, he's not just waiting back in coverage and allowing the offense to dictate what's going on. Now, look, I mean, sometimes that means you're going to end up with a defensive lineman in a coverage situation you don't want him in. But um, the fact that he's capable of doing that, the fact that he's capable of of playing that quarterback position on the defense and making sure that everybody's where they're supposed to be is a big place where he brings value. He's going to screw some things up just like everybody else is. And, uh, you know, obviously had a pretty big one there. <laughs> there that, <laughs> that if the ball had, if the ball had gotten into the end zone from Utah, we'd probably still be talking about that one too. Um, sort of like the Jordan Reed play I mentioned earlier. But, yeah. uh, you know, look, it's good to have him back, and it's good to have – it's good to have linebacker not just be a major deficiency 
on the Florida defense. I mean, I thought Shamar James really acquitted himself well in the time that he was out there. Um, and, and I think as he gets worked more into it, um, we're going to, we're going to really start to feel the, not a strength of the defense or a strength of the team, but we're going to see not a liability. And I think that's the thing that really Ventrell Miller and his leadership brings is that, you know, they're going to be in the right position. Do they have the physical skills to make the play? We'll see, but you know, everybody's going to be in the right position that they're going to be aligned, that they're going to um, give the defense the best chance to succeed. And uh, you know, that's going to be good enough some days and some plays not going to be good enough some plays, but you at least know you got your best shot to succeed with the personnel you have if he's out there. Well, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. There is a place I do want to go with that. Hey, look, the Bernie struggle in coverage, absolutely. Uh, we warned everybody coming into this game that that was going to happen. And one reason I said that was going to happen, yeah, did did we want to see some improvement for Amari Bernie in, in that regard? Absolutely. But I'm sorry, and maybe it, it sounds like a defense. 90% of linebackers out there in college football, Saturday night would have struggled in those same scenarios. Brent Keithy, it, or Brant Keithy is a very good tight end for Utah. He's going to abuse a whole lot of linebackers out there. So, I mean, uh, but do, do we still probably need to see more where Amari Bernie has improved uh, as far as consistency goes? He had an okay game. Now, putting him in coverage, and he was in coverage a lot. That was what was going to happen, and that's going to happen to a lot of linebackers out there. Uh, so, you know, I, I do want to see where, where Bernie goes as far as playing more true linebacker. I saw him get into the hole one time and laid a lick that I've never seen him lay before at the linebacker position early on in the game. Uh, but look, he was going to struggle. I, I warned everybody, look, the, the struggle was going to be there from the linebackers covering these tight ends. It reared its head. Luckily, Florida came out on top partly because, you know, it, it didn't didn't get to uh, Bernie all the way on the last play. He Settles down, makes the play, makes the game-winning play. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I, I think the the thing we all knew coming in was that those tight ends were going to be, were were going to be the thing that Utah had that they were going to try to take advantage of, especially against Florida's linebackers. And Keithy, though a very good player, averaged eleven point seven yards per reception, so he had nine for one hundred and five. Like nine for one hundred and five is a good game, right? But that's not that that's on a per play basis on a per catch basis that's well below his average last year that's well below it's not explosive and so again as the, the florida was not able to stop those guys from 20 to 20 but they really did sort of neutralize them when it came down to it down in the red zone and you know he catches the ball at like what the four or the five right before the interception they're going to him and bernie i mean look Nine for 105, but that's who they were going. That's who Rising was going to when Bernie jumped in front of it. And there was a guy, he had to make a choice. He was either going to have to drop back and guard the back, back line of the end zone with a guy who was going across, or he was going to have to jump in front of that pass. He chose to make the jump. He chose wisely and was able to make the play. Um, but I think that's going to be the story of the Florida defense. Bernie specifically, but the Florida defense all year long from here on out is it's going to be, can they make the play that gets them off the field? Whether it's a turnover, whether it's a big third down they're able to knock down, whether it's somebody making the play when they have the quarterback dead to rights, when Tony's dialed up the appropriate defense and they get a free run. Like Those are going to be the questions because if you can take advantage of the opportunities you have, then you have an opportunity to get off the field. They're not going to get off the field every time. This is not going to be a Will Muschamp defense where you're sitting there, you know, surrendering three and a half yards of play or something like that, and just you know the ball's constantly being punted. But then again, this isn't the Will 
champ offense either. So, so you know, back then it was take, like take we, the good with the bad. <laughs> back then it was we need Jared Davis to to get us a pick six because otherwise the offense won't be able to score. It's like the defense gets an interception. You're like, well, they better return it. Otherwise, yeah. that might have just moved the ball downfield for the other team. Um, so, you know, what do I have to say about Bernie? I think there were times that he struggled. I, I think actually. Um, Utah did a really nice job on a bunch of different plays of setting up what looked to be rub routes. And, you know, you put a guy like Bernie or anybody really in a situation where he's getting rubbed and it's just tough. Like that's something that DBs struggle with and to put linebackers in that sort of situation. Um, and Utah's able to do that because you can't pull your linebackers off the field because they'll just right. run it right down your throat if you do that. And so you're sort of, you know, you're. There's you're, not going to be many offenses like that Florida faces. You mentioned Georgia and, and their number of tight ends. Yeah. Georgia can do very similar things. You know, be powerful, use tight ends a lot, but there's not many other teams out there that's going to be able to do the things Utah did. Yeah, I mean, look, I still think that when you how many of the the Keithy receptions were on third down, that's where you need to look at it because hmm. they were I'm eight of thirteen. Find, they, I'm actually find that out quick. They were eight of thirteen on third down, and that's where Florida got killed. Like Florida was able to get third and four, third and five, third and three, a bunch, and just couldn't get off the field. And, you know, I remember there was like a third and five where I was like, oh, we're finally going to make them throw it. And they ran it for six yards. And I'm like, oh, geez. Like, <laughs> so, so from the standpoint of like, what are you asking Bernie to do? I guess is the question that I would have is that what you're asking him to do is not give up huge plays in the passing game to the tight ends. They had the 137 yarder to Keithy. So you take that away from his 100 and 105 or 109 or whatever it is. And now you're looking at eight for 70. And mm, his uh, third downs were that crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know, you know, hey, Bernie struggled in coverage. The, the tight ends went kind of nuts. When you combine both tight ends numbers, it's actually probably better than we would have thought heading in. Right. We, we would have thought that that would have been if if Utah was eight of 13 on third downs, so we would have been like, oh, we got absolutely murdered. Oh, by yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that's not what happened. Right. And so, it, again, is Bernie perfect? No, he's not. But he made the play he had to when he had to. And, you know. More all credit to him for being able to do that, and like you said, this is a tough set of tight ends to 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 guard, and so we'll see, right? I mean, next week there's an opportunity against a team that does not have established tight ends in the same way that Utah does. Does is not going to have the established running game like Utah does because because Ramirez isn't going to be in the game. Yeah, Rodriguez and, is out. Rodriguez, he, Rodriguez. Uh, another running back is out for Kentucky as well. I forget his name. So it's going to be down two running backs. I believe – I forget his name, but he was a transfer that they got late to help because of – you know they, they've known about Rodriguez for months now. Yep. Uh, so two running backs down, and I think some offensive line shuffling going on in, at Kentucky too already, so – well, this is why I said it was crazy to have Florida be fourth in the East is because Kentucky's having to replace Pascal on the defense, and that is not a guy who shows up at Kentucky all that often. And so they're taking the best player that they have on defense. You're taking off of that defense. And then they lost two offensive linemen to the NFL. You have Rodriguez who can't start. Now you've got another injury, and you're saying, hey, put it on Will Levis. And I'm like, Will Levis versus Anthony Richardson. Bet. <laughs> yep. I got that one. And, and they, uh, they, they do still have uh... – Cavassier Smoke, who seems like he's been there forever now, uh, can't forget that name. But he's, he's, he's like the, he's like the Andre Debose of, yeah. of Kentucky. Yeah, he he's contributed ever you know early there, so he'll he'll be the back that the Kentucky would try to lean on. Well, I mean, look, I mean, Smoke is a good back. 
I don't think he's fantastic. If he was, he would have been the starter for, for an extended period of time. I think Kentucky is who they are. They're going to go out and still try to run the ball and be physical and do all those sorts of things. But I, I think um, if we want to know, like I don't think, and I think this is where you were going, is if you want to use this game as a metric of how much Bernie has improved, um, is he a first-round NFL draft pick? No. But we don't really know how much he's improved until we get in these games against Kentucky and Tennessee. Correct. And, That's and where I was going. And A&M yes. and Georgia. And, and games where there's varied quality of tight end and games where you're asking your linebackers to do different things. Because in this game, it was clearly, hey, you're going to need to get up there and help and run support. And, oh, by the way, guard this All-American tight end, too, as he comes <laughs> out when he, when he fakes blocking and then releases, to, releases into, into coverage. And you know, that's a tough job. And so he's going to have different jobs coming up, and we'll be able to see how much he's grown as a linebacker as the season progresses. Yeah. So, and look, I mean, even that what the the pass down the seam there. I mean, Bernie, it wasn't terrible coverage. I mean, he was uh, he, he was he was pretty there. He, he turned his head, it slowed him down a bit. So you know, but he was, that's a touchdown last year. Yeah. There you go. Well, there you go. Uh, you brought it up. Yeah, his first touchdown was on third down. Uh, but a third and eight went incomplete to him. Uh, a third and three went for no yards. Uh, that was completed, actually. Uh, and then a third and six later on in the game, he converted for 14 yards. So, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I, at no point in this game was I afraid of Cameron rising through the air. And, and I think Correct. that in some ways is a testament of both the def- both the secondary for Florida, but also the linebackers and how they were able to do in coverage. Now, I was afraid he was going to complete third downs, but I wasn't yeah. afraid. But I wasn't afraid that he was going to like absolutely torch him through the air. Yeah. In fact, that was sort of my comment when Florida scored with a minute and a half left. It was, hey, now we're going to see whether Rising can drive down the field through the air because they're not going to be able to run the ball the entire way. And then, you know, it turned out he was, but, but well, even but, the very first pass was barely over Ventrell's yeah, hands. Miller almost got the interception on almost, that one. Right. And then, then he throws it right to Miller and then yeah. he makes a bad decision on the throw to, to Bernie. Um, you know, I, I think, most of the time that ball doesn't get intercepted, but still you've got second down, you've got the field goal to put it into overtime and he decides to try to fit it in there. So rising, I think when you put the game on his shoulders was not able to come through. In fact, I think that's why Florida had success in the first, first half. I think it's because Utah spent too much time putting the ball in rising's hands. Once they finally took it out and put it in Thomas's hands, then all of a sudden the Utah offense that everybody knows was able to come back. And I think that's going to be the, that to me was always the difference in the game and why I picked Florida originally is I did not have confidence that if you put the ball in Rising's hands, he was going to be able to get the job done. I had confidence that if you put it in Anthony Richardson's, he was going to be able to. And to be honest, if Florida had Emory Jones start in this game, they lose by two touchdowns. Like Anthony Richardson is such a difference maker that he covers up a lot of the holes. And so a lot of the holes that were there last year are still there. there there's, just, there's just a guy at quarterback now who every time you get in the red zone, you go, yeah, we're going to score. Like and 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 the thing is, is I know I know you sort of mentioned that uh, neither team could stop each other, but it wasn't even close. When Florida got inside the ten, it was like, bam, they were right at the one, and then bam, Richardson's in the end zone, and you know they had the one fourth down play there on the last drive, but for the most part, they were able to. You know, it was always third and two where they were trying to convert and those sorts of well, things. Well, it, it felt so good that last scoring touchdown to say, don't take the ball out of the quarterback's hands. You know how much confidence you have to say, you know, have to have to say that. 
Well, I mean, any confidence that you didn't have was in, in saying that was gained on that ridiculous two point conversion, where you're just like, oh, that that looks like something you'd pull on a video game. Yeah. And the guy who saw you do it in the video game would go, that doesn't happen in real that's life. A, like, that's a glitch. That. That's yeah. a glitch. That's not, that's not real. I'm telling you, man, we're like people. I, I wrote this in the article, and I think this is it felt like hyperbole when I wrote it, but then I went back and watched the film and went, well, I said. Anthony Richardson might be a guy we're bouncing our grandkids on our knee talking about like people who went to Florida in 2005, 2006, 2007, talk about Tim Tebow, right? Just, and, and Tebow wasn't, was a different kind of athletic freak. He was not this kind of athletic freak, but that's the reality is Richardson has that kind of potential and whether Florida wins big while he's here and whether he stays beyond this year and all those sorts of things are going to color what his legacy is at the school. But there's no doubt that he is just a special, special player. There's also no doubt that this was obvious in practice. And so, and so the fact that he didn't play last year more is a travesty. But, uh, hey, a, it means we get to enjoy had to sit in a certain studio and watch it all day long. Well, it, I don't know. He, he, he's got a lot more money than I do, so I think he's doing all right. But, he is. Uh, he is. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it because, like I said, I, I enjoyed the Anthony Richardson show, and I think I enjoyed the way he was utilized within this offense. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced now that Napier should only go after dual-threat quarterbacks because that was fun to see the defense just be conflicted on every play, not knowing what to do because – it can be an 80-yard Richardson run. It can be an 80-yard Richardson bomb. It can be a throw to Pierce all down the middle. It can be a little flare screen. Like You have to guard all 100 yards when he's out there. And it's, well, you it's said, been a while it, since Florida's had that. Yeah, as you said, there's flood concepts were numerous uh, in, in this game. Um, the RPO opening up a good bit of the runs where the, the DBs, they, they accounted for those wide receivers that that were out there a whole lot because they had to, and they were in no position to make a tackle if a, if a run went their way because they were so far out wide, worried about that RPO for for, for there. So uh, a good a good bit of the chunk runs uh, came came from you know those RPOs and the, and those receivers being or those DBs being conflicted. Whether okay, well. I, yeah, it might be coming my way, but I still got to get hit hit this guy out here. So yeah, I like a lot of I like a lot of what I saw there too. Um, you know, we'll see if it can get a, a little more explosive in the in the passing game, as you said, you know, going down the field. But a lot of the concepts that we thought we would saw, look, nothing really surprised us here as far as the offense go, um, except for maybe Richardson and how much he could take over. But the concept, what we pretty much expected is what we got. Just wait. They had clearly coached Richardson to take what they give you, that we believe we can drive down the field, that we don't need to take deep shots all the time. There were a couple of times he took one deep shot to Henderson mm-hmm. that I thought he was forcing it. He took a deep shot to Xanders when he was going fading across his body that probably should have been picked off. Um, other than that, I thought he took what they gave him. I did think that there were a couple of times where in the floods he had the guy open deep. And he's going to get comfortable. They're going to look at the film. They're going to tell him, hey, every once in a while, yeah, he's on his hip. But when when your wide receiver has the defensive back hip to hip um, and the defensive back hasn't quite turned yet, you got him. And just let it go and trust him. And one-on-one, your, your wide receiver is going to go up and get it. And guys like Burke or guys like Dejon Reynolds or guys like Justin Shorter are going to go up and get that ball. And he's going to give them an opportunity to do it. I, I think they had basically – I mean, if you watch the Oregon game, Bo Nix tried to go deep early, and the Georgia defensive back made an awesome play to bring down the interception. And then Georgia went right down the field and scored a touchdown. That game was over almost immediately. And um, you know, you don't necessarily need to take those shots if you can run 8, 9, 10 yards – 
every time you give the ball to a running back. And so he was clearly coached to sort of take that in. Like he, I think he was looking intermediate, short and long. Like you could sort of tell from who he went to when different guys were open. I think they've, they've sort of coached him at least for that game. Said, let's look at the intermediate, then go short, then go long. And so I think they might change that progression or at least give him some more freedom within that progression to take some deep shots coming up in the next couple of weeks. And I think it's going to be there. All right, there we go. Good look back. Tiny look ahead, but Wildcats SEC opener coming up Saturday uh, I know Will will have a preview up at Reading Reaction. I'll have one uh, later this week at Gators Breakdown. Will and I, we previewed, you, we previewed the Utah game pretty good for you last week. Uh, so a lot of the things we brought up or a lot of the things we saw Saturday night, and, and hopefully um, I think I know where both of us are leaning for this one. So hopefully all that stuff comes to fruition again uh, this coming up week for the Gators. But Will, man, one more thing, you know, just another big game in the Swamp Saturday night, man. Uh, I mean, they don't come around too often, right? I mean, it, it's when you have an opportunity to play in the SEC championship game, when you have these home games where it comes down to the last thing, when you get these sorts of wins, um, they just don't come around that often. And so you need to appreciate it when they do. And the fact that Napier was able to come in and deliver one in game one, hats off to him. Obviously, you know, if it had been a 42 to, to seven win, we'd all come out of it buzzing in a different way. But, you know, it probably would have also been something where, you know, for me personally, having my seven-year-old in the stands, I mean, you know, he's sitting there, the disappointment every time Utah scores, like, we're behind again. How could we? And then all of a sudden the Gators go ahead and he gets all excited and that sort of stuff. So you get to see, you know, just from the familial, familial aspect, this sort of game was really awesome. But, uh, you know, these are the ones you remember. Like, I don't the, – the only real blowout I remember – well, I remember two, right? I remember Florida State in the Sugar Bowl there in, uh, in early 97, and then I remember uh, the Ole Miss game. Those are really the only two blowouts blowouts that I look at as like sort of seminal moments. I mean, I guess maybe the Ohio state game in 2006, um, you know, after, after the initial uh, kick gets returned for a touchdown by again, and then Florida comes back. But I, you know, I, the ones I remember are the ridiculous LSU games. It's the it's the pick six against Burrow. It's the fourth and 14 with Antonio Callaway. It's those sorts of things are the ones you remember as just being truly, truly special. And so, you know, look, we've got um, we've got something really special brewing here in Gainesville and got one of those here. Uh, Billy Napier was like 11 and one over his last two years in one score games at uh at uh, Louisiana. Hopefully that doesn't turn into a pattern because I don't want 17 one, one score games over the next couple of years. But, uh, um, but you know, Hey, you got the first one and that's something Florida wasn't able to do last year. So an awesome win, appreciate it, but uh, no, there's still work to be done. And, you know, we'll have critiques going into Kentucky, but also laudits. Um, you know, things are never as good as they seem, never as bad as they seem, especially when you win on the last possession, there's always stuff to fix, but always stuff to look back on and say, Hey, we need to improve that too. Yep, yep. Uh, rankings will come out on Tuesday. Uh, Clemson and Georgia Tech playing on Monday night, so no rankings on Monday. They delay it till Tuesday because of a Monday game. So Gators should be ranked, of course, uh, when they take on Kentucky. So it'll be a ranked matchup in the Swamp to start SEC play. So, all right, Will. Yep. Uh, as I mentioned, Kentucky preview coming up this week, I'm sure. Absolutely. We'll have a stand-up and holler coming out in the next, next couple of days. Uh, reviewing some, reviewing some of these things as well, and uh, then all sorts of preview stuff coming up this week, and uh, a few new things going up on Read and Reaction. I, a lot of people have asked about yards above replacement. The stat I used to evaluate mm-hmm. quarterbacks. We're going to be releasing the SEC rankings on that. Um, so if you're a betting person, that's probably a good thing to have in in terms of knowledge, so you understand where guys are and uh, and what to expect from the quarterbacks, because obviously quarterbacks usually win you the game. 
All right, sounds good. There we go. Check it out. Read and reaction.com, and they're on YouTube as well. So for Will, I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.